this morning, 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 1 through 11. This is God's word. He's kept it for us for all these years that we may read it together here uh, in Eustis, Florida. Just that alone is an amazing thought that uh, he spoke these words and that they were written down and that they've been kept for us to hear together. But that's not uh, what's so impressive about these words. That th- What's so impressive about these words are that these are actually God's uh, words, words for us this morning, that they may edify us, that they may build us up, that may, they may strengthen us, that they may encourage us uh, to do the things that God called us to do. Not to hear His words. says now concerning the collection for the saints as i directed the churches of galatia so you also are to do on the first day of every week each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when i come and when i arrive i will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through uh, Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for He is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You know, today I think, Paul is showing us several things here. We're coming to the end of the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been marching through this book. And uh, Paul has written a letter to the church at Corinth to answer a lot of their questions. And here in the, in the last bit, he answers a couple more questions. But I think more what he's doing for us today is giving us um, some practical wisdom and how to live out all the things that he's been explaining to them along the way. I think we see three things here this morning. One is that Paul is planning for a collection. Uh, We're going to look at that in a little more detail, that he's preparing for travel. He's hoping to be able to travel and go and see the church in Corinth. And he also is protecting Timothy, protecting Timothy as he proclaims the gospel. 
It may seem like this chapter is kind of unrelated to the rest of the book, but it deals with some very helpful things for us to look at this morning. One is uh, the, the areas of stewardship. How do we steward our money? How do we steward uh, the people that God has put in our midst? And how do we steward opportunities? How do we steward money and opportunities and people? I think we see that in this whole chapter. If you think about it, those are probably, um, outside of the Word of God, the best resources that the church has. Money, opportunities, and people. A lot of times we like to look at our resources as other things, but... Uh, people can be some of our most valuable resources. Well, I'd like to take a step back this morning. I'd like to look at this chapter from a, a view of about 30,000 feet, as if we're still circling the airport before we land uh, this book, right? So we're, we're up in the air, we're looking down. What has this book taught us? And um, before we start descending into the, the actual text this morning... One thing that I think is clear is that Paul is living out for us in chapter 16 what he's charged the church to do at the end of chapter 15. So if you look just above chapter 16 there in 1558, Paul ends the chapter with this charge. After he's answered all of their questions, after he's directed them uh, what to do and how to do it. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This was the charge. And, And right on the heels, Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. I don't think the church in Corinth had any idea what he, he directed Galatia to do. Uh, they didn't have uh, text messages. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have uh, a chance to communicate. But Paul's point there is you're not alone. You're not alone in what I'm asking you to do. Apparently, they had communicated about a certain collection. Apparently, they had communicated about a a certain uh, time that they were to have this collection collected. So not only was there uh, a certain collection, because he's using the word the collection there, so they've talked about it. There's a certain people that it's going to. There's a certain people that should be giving, and there's a certain time. So this is a very specific thing that Paul is talking about. He's not just talking about a weekly collection of tithes, but he's talking about the collection. And so we're going to dive into that as well. I think overall what we're going to see in this last chapter over the next couple weeks is Paul's uh, persistence in planning and preparing and protecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. This closing chapter, if nothing else, hopefully will encourage you that, that 
not only the church in Corinth had a job, but we have a job to, to plan and to prepare and to protect the gospel. That's what we've been called to do. You may say, well, why is Paul urging them to, to, to plan out living so generously? Why should they set aside what they already have for somebody else? Why, why, why do you do that? Why should we be providing for the poor that live in a different geographic area? Why should we be providing for the poor that live in Jerusalem? Why don't we take care of the poor that live right here in Corinth? And I think the short answer is because the resurrection happened. All of chapter 15 was talking about the resurrection of Jesus. When the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened, it changed the world. Not just the world in Corinth, but my world and your world. Here's why. It gives us the opportunity to die to ourselves every day. It gives you and me the opportunity to live our lives in such a way that it doesn't hurt us to give ourselves away. The resurrection of Jesus Christ says, when you die, you gain. That's the truth of the gospel. There's no fear when you're a believer in Jesus of death because has no power over you because of the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. And so why should you fear in giving of yourself to someone else? We can die to ourselves every single day knowing that these bodies are going to be made new knowing that we can spend ourselves for the sake of the kingdom. Remember, Paul said, if the body is not raised, if the resurrection is a farce, we of all people should be pitied. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are to be pitied. But thanks be to God. <laughs> Let our Lord Jesus Christ walked out of the grave. He has risen again. Paul is proclaiming this good news about Jesus Christ because with the resurrection, we're able to live without fear of the penalty of sin, which is death. And we can live victoriously over the power of sin, knowing that sin has lost its power in our day-to-day -day lives. When you come face-to-face -face with sin, and whether you're able to resist it or whether you fall in temptation, 
If you fall, you can repent and ask for forgiveness. And if you resist it, you can stand victoriously over it. Either way, Jesus Christ grants you the opportunity to have victory over sin. With this confidence, you can live your life knowing that the truth of the church of Jesus Christ will continue on. We can start living it out in love. It's not a love that you get whatever you want, you can live however you want, be whoever you want, and God will just forgive me. That's not the love we're talking about. We're talking about the type of selfless love that Jesus Christ had. See, we're empowered by a life-giving spirit. Jesus has left us the Holy Spirit to remove our darkened, self-seeking, self-absorbed, self-destructive hearts. And in place, He gives us a new nature. He gives us a new name. He gives us a new focus, church. This is what Paul was turning the Corinthians and instructing them to do to care for their Jewish brothers who were in Jerusalem. He was encouraging the the Corinthian church to live their life with a purpose. How do we do that here in Eustace? We can live our life here knowing that We can love those who are needy. We can love those who are lonely. We don't have to use our wealth or status to live wildly, but we can manage it wisely so that we can live generously. Generously giving thanks to God and pointing others to His gracious love. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do... Paul is very specific. You should be setting aside a collection. And he even gave them a specific day on the first day of every week. Put something aside. Why did he want them to do that? When you are not living a selfish life, when you are living a servant-hearted life, You are reflecting the love of God. Paul knew that the church could not survive if if everyone just lived for themselves. Paul said, when I arrive, I'll send those whom you've accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Paul's training people up to do the work of the Lord. Paul has encouraged them to be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work. And he's organizing opportunities for them to do the things that they need to do. Paul plans for this collection. It's a certain collection for a certain set of people to be taken up at a certain time to be distributed to a certain people for a certain purpose. Paul's encouraging the church in Corinth to refocus, to to get away from their selfish, uh, petty questions and their petty pursuits and say, we have been given a mission, church. 
Consider the source of your wealth. Consider the scope that your wealth could um, impact. Consider how giving systematically because of the measure and the reach your impact could have. Paul is saying if we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ, and if this church is going to spread to every end of the earth so that every name and every nation and every people would hear the word of Christ, we must support it. Here he's very clear on what to do and when to do it and how to do it and who should do it. Paul isn't condemning wealth here. Quite the contrary. He, he's speaking about what to do with wealth. He's talking to everyone that we all should put something aside from the earnings from their work, whether you're Warren Buffett or the widow with two mites. He's saying everyone put aside something for this collection. Take something from their work, from their toil, from the fruit of their labor and set it aside for the collection. I've had the opportunity to witness this in a a very impactful way on a mission trip to Peru. We were able to uh, go down to Peru and um, if you've ever been a part of a mission trip or from paying for it or supporting it or going yourself, you know that they can have a great impact. You also know it takes a lot of planning, it's a lot of preparation, and there's even protection involved. And so whenever you're planning a mission trip like this, a lot of times the whole trip depends on what? Setting aside enough money planning ahead of time enough money to support the trip. So we, we go to Peru and we're, we're on this mission trip and, and usually what happens on missions trips is you are ministered to way more than the people that you're there to minister to. It's been my experience anyway. And so we're in Peru and we're working with... Uh, Street kids were building a, a wall around their facility. We're building a, a basketball court and it's a lot of mixing concrete. So it's shoveling rocks and sand to make your own concrete, stirring the concrete, pouring the concrete. A lot of hard work. You're in a desert climate. It's hot. The one thing that you want more than anything is water. And the one thing that they don't have a lot of is water. The people in Ica, Peru, actually spend 80 to 90% of their wealth on water for their entire life. And so one of the things that we decided to do as a group was to rent a water truck and ride around in the outlying villages and give away water. And so I I was telling them about uh, Jesus saying, I am the living water. If you believe in me, uh, you'll never thirst again, although this water is what you want and you thirst for. I have something greater. And so I'm telling this story at every stop, and at every stop there's 30 or 40 people running out with everything from a cup this big to a giant barrel. And we're just filling up water, filling up water, giving out water. And at one of the stops, one of the ladies called me with a translator, called me into her house. I walk into her house, 
and she takes me over to her kitchen table and she hands me about three pieces of fruit, two of which were so uh, badly rotted that you wouldn't want to eat it. The third was probably her last piece of fruit. She picked that one up and handed it to me and said, I want you to have this. I told the translator, I said, I don't want that. You know, I came here to serve her. Here's what I want you to understand. She, she had set aside everything to give to me. I hadn't set aside hardly anything to be there. Church, what if we lived like this lady? What if we were so overwhelmed by grace? What if we were so moved by the power of the gospel that we gave everything? Paul says, I want you to, I want you to understand that I'm preparing for travel. And I'm not, I'm not traveling just to travel. He's actually answering one of the biggest questions. Is he, he seemingly leaves us with this question of he's told them what to do, how to do it, when to do it, who should do it, but he hasn't really answered that question, why should we do it? He answers that for us over and over as we look here and, and through his other writings. And the reason is that we might live in such a way that the way that we live, the, the way that we live with a hospitable, generous, loving, Christ-like love in all that we do, in all that we do, would lead others to faith. Paul's saying, that's why I want to travel to you. That's why I want to spend time with you. I don't want to just come and visit for visit's sake. I want to come and winter with you. I want to come and, and have true fellowship with you. Why? Because if you've ever been with someone, a lot of us do this here. We know each other. We say hi. We say bye. But until we actually share a meal with each other, until we actually sit across from one another and actually ask, why do you come to New Hope? Why do you love Jesus? Why do you do the profession that you do? Until you engage in hospitality, not just entertaining someone, but truly engaging them and living with them and amongst them, will you understand who they are? Why should Gentiles take up a collection for Jews in the first place? Why should one church support another church? Why can't each church support itself? I think this is actually a, a beautiful picture for uh, Paul just saying, this is the model for church planning. <laughs> even though the mother church is the one that they're sending the funds back to, even though the original church, the church in Jerusalem, is, is the one that is now falling apart, Paul's like, you've got to send support. It's almost as if, uh, the Holy Trinity Church in Kherson would start sending support back here to New Hope because we're falling apart. 
Paul says in verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you. With a a great caveat, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul is now presumably on his third missionary journey. He's planted churches all over. He's invested money and time and resources and himself into people, into God's people to show them Jesus. Paul had a deep, heartfelt relationship with each church as we see through all of his writings. Paul urged the leadership and the members to not just understand the gospel, but to obey it. I think that's what he was telling them here is, I want to come and live amongst you and encourage you to keep doing what God's called you to do. Don't quit being the church just because your leader is gone. One of the commentators said that one of the the great benefits of uh, Christianity is its source. That divine love which is shed abroad in the heart by the Spirit, which likens us to the Redeemer who freely gave Himself up for us all and demands that we freely give as we have received. Isn't that one of the great benefits of being a Christian? To know that you've been loved so much, that you've been set free from from death itself. That the penalty that you deserve to pay has already been paid. And Jesus says, I just want to give it away. I want you to, to give away the good news of the gospel in everything that you do, whether it's supporting a church, whether it's offering somebody water, whether it's uh, talking to a coworker that you're scared to death to talk to about Jesus. The other great thing about being a Christian is the scope of who we are. Think about who you are, church. Think about where where you've come from and where you're promised to end up. From creation to glory. Man, I don't know about you, but it invigorates me every day to think about the reality of who I am in Jesus Christ. That I have been loved before I was formed in my mother's womb. And I will be loved for eternity. We're all longing 
to be accepted. We're all longing to be loved. We're all longing to be a part of something great. And in, in Christianity, Jesus adopts you into his perfect, wonderful, loving family. And although we're fractured here on earth and although things aren't, don't work the way that they're supposed to and it's not ideal and yes, sin is messy and we struggle, it is but for a moment. The last thing that is so great about being Christian is knowing who you're living for. You're living for God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We just we sang about it and we read about it in our prayers. Paul says, I'm coming so that I may live with you, so that I may encourage you to do the work of the Lord, to keep abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because that's what the Lord has called us to do. Look at, you don't have to look there, I'm just going to read some out of Romans. Romans 12, 13 tells us to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Romans 15 says, Paul's saying, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service of them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. The collection was a symbol of unity for the church. The collection to the Jews in Jerusalem was showing Jewish Christians the unity of both Gentile and Jew in Christ. It was a means of not just supporting them, but reconciling the church in Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing what God can do when we simply obey? Isn't it amazing when God says, I just want you to take a little bit of your goodness and set it aside and at the right time I'm going to use that goodness to do something you can't even imagine. Paul also protects Timothy. (laughs) His beloved brother. 
his mentoree, his son. He even calls in 417, remember Paul described Timothy as, My son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, who would remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul loved Timothy. And so he tells the church in Corinth, please look after him. Please make him feel welcome. Please love this brother. When Timothy comes, see to it that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. We're all called to do uh, a great thing. When, when, you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you've denied yourself, when you've accepted the reality that you are a sinner and that you are justly deserving God's displeasure, save His sovereign grace and mercy through the blood of His Son. When you realize, yeah, I'm a sinner and I, de- I deserve everything coming my way. But thanks be to God for Jesus. When you realize that, you've enlisted yourself into the army of the Lord to do His work. Whether you think you're ready or not, God has made you ready. Church, I don't know what your gift is. I don't know what your ability is. I do for some of you. I love you. But I'm here to tell you that God wants to use you right where you're at. Paul's exhorting Timothy to the church in Corinth, giving him the highest worth, the best recommendations, the stamp of approval, saying, if you're writing me, asking me how to live, and you want to trust me, you can trust this guy. He's coming in my place. One of the greatest pieces of of advice I've given in my almost 18 years of ministry is this. Always have a mentor. Always have someone who you can look up to who is training you and teaching you and molding you, who is holding you accountable. But also, always have a companion who you can talk with about the Lord, who you can pray with about your struggles, who you can be real with. Always have someone that you're one-on-one with. And the third thing is always have someone you're discipling. Always have somebody you're praying for that you would have the opportunity to speak truth into their life. Always have somebody that you can open up the Bible and teach them the truths of Scripture. Because I really think that's what Paul is modeling here to the church. He's a mentor to Timothy. He's sending Timothy to be one-on-one with them, and then he's asking them through the gifts of their collection and offering to be a mentor to other churches, to be an example of how to live out the Christian life. Are you discipling someone like Timothy? 
Why not? Church, are we gathering things together? Are we being good stewards of the resources God's given us so that we can reach out and help those other churches that are struggling? I think we do a pretty good job of that. Can we always do better? Sure. How are we living out the commandments that God has placed before us? Paul was worried about the church at Corinth. He was worried how will they accept Timothy? How do we accept leaders? How do we accept new people that come through the doors at New Hope? I think we need to uh, trust in the Lord. I think we need to look and examine people and see are they doing the work of the Lord and not despise them? So this is, my, this is what my prayer for New Hope would be. Many of you have heard Richard and I talk about the reality of becoming a church planting hub. What would that look like? What would Lake County look like in 50 years if we became a church planning hub? What would Lake County look like if each one of you decided, hey, this week I'm just going to start setting aside a little bit to support the work of the kingdom? What would it look like if we started praying for uh, other believers in our area come to know the Lord, to be to come aside, uh, beside us and support us in that work? What would it look like if we started praying for the lost in our area? What if our sole focus as a church st- started looking at planning and preparing and protecting the gospel? What if we actually had a plan for how to, to make the gospel known in Lake County through church planning? What if we started preparing people to be a part of that? We as the church should be focused like Paul in being steadfast and movable and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that because of the resurrection, knowing that because of the resurrection, that our labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Oh God, your church is an amazing, amazing gift to us. Lord, would you help us to be uh, great stewards of the resources that you've placed all around us? God, would you help us to be people that are uh, intentional, intentional about planning, intentional about preparing, and intentional about protecting the gospel. God, help us to, to be mentors. Help us to uh, be in relationships where we, we have iron sharpening iron. We're, we're in relationships with Christian brothers and Christian sisters who, who we trust and who we love, who, who can be honest with us. 
And God, let us be about the business of discipling. Let us be about the business of teaching others the truth, whether it is a mom and dad in the living room of their home, whether it's being a Sunday school teacher, whether it's volunteering for nursery or, or youth group or to be a small group leader, or whether it's just bringing a neighbor to a small group. God, let us be intentional about discipling. Oh God, would you be glorified today? Would your name be magnified above all other things? God, we, we just praise you and thank you for your goodness and your mercy, for they abound new every day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.